I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. So who's your one? We are in the midst of our Who's Your One campaign as we're looking at that once again. We've done that before, and uh, we want to do it again because that's the question, right? Who is your one? Each and every one of us are called to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not the world. We're not trying to save one, uh, the world, not you, not by yourself. But you're called for one person, one person at a time. So who is your one in this season? Who is your one? Who is that one person that God has put in your life that doesn't know Jesus but needs to know Jesus? You're the person that God has put there to share that with them. So today, as we continue our emphasis on who's your one, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 5. I know your note sheet says 7. I caught that mistake this morning as I was studying. And I, went, I looked at my notes, and I opened up my Bible to Luke 7. I was like, uh-oh, that's not the right scripture. And so I went to Luke 5. So Luke 5, 17 through 26 is where we are today. Luke 5, 17 through 26. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 808 in the Pew Bible. Page 808 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that Pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you today because we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. So please take that Bible and use it. It will certainly bless your life as you read God's Word and, and apply it to your lives. So Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Um, what is a soul winner, right? That's, as we're, we're talking about who's your one, we're, we're, we're talking about that. We want to be soul winners. We want to be soul winners. So what is a soul winner? If you're a parent and your child is sick, you'd take them to the doctor, wouldn't you? If your friend or your buddy is, is broke down, his car's broke down, you'd take them to a mechanic, well, if you're a soul winner, when you see a lost person, what do you do? You take them to Jesus. You take them to Jesus. And so that's the title of today's message, Take Them to Jesus, because we want to be soul winners. We want to take the lost to Jesus. So who is your one that you need to take to Jesus? Now, last Sunday, or no, two Sundays ago, Brother Steve was, was with us here last Sunday, but a couple of Sundays ago, uh, we had the, the message, Go Fish. And there we learned that a, a disciple of Jesus Christ follows Jesus and makes disciples. A disciple goes fish, right? He becomes a fisher of men. So we're called to be soul winners. And today, as we look at our text, that means for us that we need to take the lost to Jesus. That's it. We need to take the lost to Jesus. We don't save their souls. Jesus does that. We just have to take them to Jesus and let Jesus do his thing. So we're going to see that today. So today I want to, to share with you from our text three essentials of a soul winner. Three essential characteristics that you need to have if you're going to be a soul winner, if you're going to take, take them to Jesus. 
Now, as we look at our text here in Luke chapter 5, let me just kind of give you the context of our text so that you kind of understand what's going on here. This is taking place early on in Jesus' ministry. He's just now collecting his disciples. In fact, after this, he, he goes and finds Matthew and calls Matthew to come follow him. So this is early on in Jesus' ministry. But Jesus has already started to heal people. He's going through Galilee up there in the northern part of, of Israel. And he's, he's healing people. And the word's getting out. And so people are just coming in droves to see this this new prophet that has arised that, that is going about doing the works of God and, and healing people. I mean, just imagine if you heard somebody was down in New Orleans uh, healing folks, uh, you might be interested and you might want to go see that taking place. I know that uh, we had the revival breaking out at, at uh, um, uh, where was that? Asbury, I lost, I was wanting to say Andrews, but no, Asbury, we just had the revival up there in Asbury, and I've had a lot of friends, a lot of preacher friends who actually made that journey because they wanted to see that and witness that, and so uh, if you can imagine that if you were living in Jesus' day and you hear about this new prophet and all the wonderful things that he is doing, you would probably want to go and see for yourselves and so people are coming from miles around even our text as we'll see today they're coming in from jerusalem i mean hundreds of miles away from where jesus is they're traveling this is day-long journeys right they you can't get there in a day these are are traveling they're walking the distance to come see jesus and jesus today as we pick up our text jesus is in someone's home they're in a little village He's in someone's home, and uh, their houses typically didn't, weren't, weren't all that big, but this one apparently must have been kind of big, right, for, to, to house what they house. But, but people are gathered around this house, and, and people are, are shoved into every nook and cranny in this house. I mean, they want to come in and see Jesus. They want to hear him teach. They want to see him do miraculous things. And, and you can imagine the house is completely full. There's not even standing room in this house where Jesus is teaching. There's crowds even outside just hoping that they might get in uh, eventually to see Jesus. And, and that's kind of the scene that we get to as we begin with our text today. So if you found your place there in God's Word in Luke chapter 5, please stand with me as we read God's Word this morning. Now hear the word of the Lord. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding, no way to, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, 
He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we do pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts today. Lord, as we focus in on these friends of the paralytic and what all they had to do to bring this man to Jesus, oh Lord, I pray that you would impress it upon our hearts, the importance of being a soul winners. Lord, we can make a difference in someone's life just by introducing them to Jesus, just by taking them to Jesus. Oh, Lord, let us be encouraged by this text today. And let us go out from here and be soul winners, taking people to Jesus. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we begin to look at our text, and there's a lot of things going on here, and we're going to have to focus our attention in uh, on uh, a particular aspect of this text. And so today, we're going to focus in on the paralytic's friends, those friends. Mark tells us that there are four friends, and so Luke doesn't give that description, but Mark does, and Mark tells us there are four friends. And so I want to look at these four friends, because these four friends, they are soul winners. And I want to look at them, and I want to see the characteristics of a soul winner in these four friends. And so as we begin to look at our text then, the first thing that we notice here, the first characteristic of a soul winner, we see is a soul winner loves the lost. A soul winner loves the lost. Now now think about the, the plight of this, this paralytic. This guy who is paralyzed. Now we don't know why he's paralyzed. We don't have any kind of, there's no indication of why. It could have been he was paralyzed from birth. He could have had an accident somewhere along the way. But but we don't know that, but he is paralyzed. And this is a a day and time when when, uh, there were no wheelchairs, there were no hover-rounds, there was none of that. If you were paralyzed, then you absolutely depended upon anybody and everybody else to to help you and to get you around, to to pick you up and take you here, there, yonder, or whatever. Uh, You were absolutely dependent upon other people. Also, we have to understand that in this culture, in the first century Judaism, the culture mindset was one that if you suffered from a disability like uh, paralyzation, if you were paralyzed, if you were blind, if you were deaf, people looked at that as a consequence of your sin, right? They they looked at that that, uh, that, uh, disability as God's judgment upon your life. We see this evident even in Scripture. In John chapter 9, we just see the disciples asking Jesus a question. 
John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, even his, his disciples had this kind of mindset. There's a disability here, therefore there must be some sin in that family. Whose sin is it? Is it that, that man's sin? Is it his parents' sin? And so this is the mindset of the people of Israel in the first century, in Jesus' day. Now Jesus goes on to correct that, right? And so let me just read the rest of the verse because we need to understand that. We need to see how Jesus responds and Jesus answered. It was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus goes on to display the works of God by healing that blind man. But this is the mindset of the day, right? This guy is paralyzed, and he's paralyzed because of sin. And so there weren't a whole lot of people who were willing even to help this guy out because, hey, man, that's, that's, uh, it's on you, right? It's your fault. It's your parents' fault. It, it's somebody else's fault. You got yourself into this mess, and so now deal with the consequences. Boy, I wonder, do any of us ever look at people and have that same kind of attitude? Huh. Well, if you wouldn't have done drugs, right, if you hadn't have been addicted to drugs, if you hadn't ever drank, if you haven't ever done that thing, it's your fault where you are. Why is that my problem? You shouldn't have taken drugs. You shouldn't have got on this. You shouldn't have got on that. You should have left the alcohol alone. I didn't tell you to go cheat on your wife. You did that. How often do we write people off because of their sin huh but you see his friends they didn't write him off because of even that perceived sin he had four friends who looked at him and instead of saying well that's your problem you got yourself into this mess and so you why should i care instead they had compassion upon him they had compassion. These four men, they had compassion upon this man who couldn't get there, right? They probably heard about Jesus. They obviously heard about Jesus. And they knew that, that Jesus, because Jesus had done some of this stuff. He had healed people. And so, man, if we could just get this, this buddy of ours to Jesus, maybe Jesus can heal him. But instead of saying, well, that's your problem, you there on your own you you're this you're suffering the consequences of your sin so you just get you just deal with it yourself no they had compassion they had love for this man and they said hey let us help you get to jesus you know see that's the first characteristic of a soul winner a soul winner looks at the loss and they don't say fooey on you you worthless sinner but a soul winner looks at the loss and says, yeah, you got a problem. you got a bad problem. But I know the person who's got the answer. I need to get you to Jesus. The lost needs someone to love them, to have compassion on them, 
to see them despite of their circumstances and consequences, despite of their sin, and love them. Have compassion upon them. And want to take them to Jesus. Church, we must love our lost family, our lost friends, our lost neighbors. We must love them enough to take them to Jesus. We must love them enough to take them to Jesus. More than paralysis, our, our lost friends and neighbors, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're separated from a holy God. They are on the path of damnation to hell. But we have the solution. We've got the solution. We know the guy who can solve their problem. We just need to love them enough to get them to Jesus. Quit turning a blind eye. Quit turning a blind eye. Don't look away. Look at the lost. Love them and get them to Jesus. I once heard even an atheist say, right? Even an atheist understands this. I heard an atheist once say that if Christians truly believe what they say they, would be, they believe, then they would tell everybody about Jesus. Because if a Christian believes that a man is going to die and go to hell unless he comes to know Jesus, the worst thing he could do, the most hateful thing we could do is to pity-patty around the subject and not tell him about Jesus. Yeah, it might be an uncomfortable conversation. And we use that excuse, well, I don't want to break that relationship. Well, if I tell them about Jesus, if I begin to tell them about my religion, they, they might turn away from him. They might do this thing or that thing. If you love them, tell them about Jesus. Because the most hateful thing you can do is not tell them about Jesus. If you're going to be a soul winner, you got to tell people about Jesus. Romans 10, 12, Paul says this, How then will they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, without someone proclaiming, without someone telling them? Oh, love the lost. Love the lost and take them to Jesus. A soul winner loves the lost. Second, a soul winner is determined to overcome obstacles. A soul winner is determined to overcome obstacles. Look at these four friends, right? As they're bringing, they love their friend, they have compassion upon their friend. 
And, and, and as they're taking him to Jesus, there's that problem, right? There's this big obstacle in their way. Jesus is in yonder, right? He's in the house, and, and all the crowd is, is pushed inside the house, and, and there's a crowd outside the house blocking the entrance. There's no way to get this man. I assume they got some kind of a cot rigged up here and and one man on each corner of the cot there's no way to maneuver this man into the building there's a great obstacle in this way how do we get him to jesus they begin to think well there's an obstacle we need to overcome it because we need to get him to jesus and they look around and there on the side of the house there's a there's steps going up In the first century Judaism, in the first century Palestine, most houses were constructed with a flat roof. And uh, there was a a big flat roof up there, and and that's where you kind of would go and hang out, right? They didn't really have backyards to go grill on. And and so if you had family over, you had friends over, you, you hung out on top of the house, on the roof. And so there was always either a ladder or steps going up to the roof. And so they, they see, oh, oh, right there, there's steps going up to the roof. Hey, let's take him up to the roof. Well, they get up to the roof, and, and there, there's another obstacle in their way. There's a roof in their way. Now, the roof were, the roofs were, were con, uh, typically constructed like they had these beams that went across, these major support beams that went across. We kind of have those in our own houses, right? Big support beams that kind of hold up the structure. And then over top of the beams, there were, were typically laid some more sticks across there to kind of tighten things up. And then they would pile on earth, other earth, mud and dirt and debris and all of that and build up about two foot worth of debris or, or a foot or two of debris. I mean, it had to be substantial to be able to to support people walking around up on top of the roof it had to be substantial to keep the the water out when it rained and so there was about a foot or two of earth packed on top of the roof and then Luke tells us that there were some tile up there they had to remove this tile and so there was some tile up there on top to make the the roof kind of flat so that people could walk around and and have conversations and spend time with one another And, and so here they have another obstacle there's a roof with with all of this debris all of this this thick mud and stuff packed in there how do we get him through the roof down there to Jesus and so we got to dig through the roof. we got to dig it up. And so they remove the tile. They dig out all the dirt. They dig out all the debris. They, they break those twigs out of the way, all those sticks out of the way. They, they make a hole there to get him down to Jesus. But then there's the obstacle of expense, isn't it? There's the obstacle of what it's going to cost them to do that because, number one, somebody's got to go fix that roof. Right? Once they tear up the roof, they can't just tear up a man's roof and, and leave it with a hole in it. Right? Somebody's got to pay to have that roof fixed. But not only that, man, there's all this crowd down underneath. And as they're digging through the roof, man, debris starting to fall. People are starting, well, man, what's going on? What, what's happening? They're looking up at them. You ever broken into a big room and said something, did something, something happened, you slipped and fell, and everybody looks at you 
Yeah, there's the cost of your own comfort, your cost of your reputation. As you tear a hole in a man's roof, what are are people going to think? What are people going to think of us as we tear a hole in this roof and let this man down in front of Jesus? They had all these obstacles to overcome, yet they said, it's worth the expense. It's worth the effort. We need to get over the crowd. We need to get through the roof. We need to get over the the cost, the expense. We need to get over ourselves. We need to do whatever it takes to overcome every obstacle to take him to Jesus. We've got to take him to Jesus. Let me tell you, friend, if you're going to be a soul winner, there's always going to be obstacles. There's always, always, always going to be obstacles. Satan will make sure of it. He's going to make sure there's going to be interruptions. He's going to make sure that, that, that you feel that tension. <sighs> Man, what if, I, what if I get it wrong? What if I don't get it right? What if I mess up? See, that's Satan just whispering in your ear. What are are they going to think about me? What are they going to think about me? That's all temptations to draw you away, to keep you, to be an obstacle in front of you, to keep you from sharing the gospel with the lost. They're all obstacles. There's going to be those who reject you. I don't want to hear that. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to let that obstacle get in your way or are you going to continue to pray and pray and pray and look for more opportunities to share with that person? There's always going to be obstacles. You've got to be determined to overcome those obstacles if you're going to be a soul winner. You've got to be determined to overcome every obstacle. I love what Philip Ryken says here. Philip Ryken says, What people need more than anything else is for someone to bring them to Jesus, overcoming all the obstacles. Whatever trouble these men went through to bring their friend to Jesus was worth it. Yet so often we let little things get in the way of inviting a friend to church or offering to pray for someone or bringing a a Christ-centered perspective into a conversation, or sharing the basic facts of the gospel. What people need is a direct, personal encounter with Jesus Christ. So we should do whatever whatever we can to bring them to the place where they can experience His healing touch. Whom do you know that needs to know Jesus? To what lengths are you willing to go in order to introduce them? If we want to be soul winners, church, we must be determined to overcome every obstacle to take the lost to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. A soul winner loves the lost 
and is determined to overcome every obstacle in order to take them to Jesus. Third, a soul winner has faith. A soul winner has faith in Jesus' power and authority to save. Oh, this is so important. A soul winner has faith in Jesus' power and authority to save. You don't save them. You don't have the power. You don't have the authority. Jesus saves them. And He has all authority and power. Think about these these friends. These friends had faith in order to bring the paralytic to Jesus. Right? They had faith in order to bring this man to Jesus. And then the friend had to have faith in Jesus' power too. But, but both sides, right? The, the friends and the man both had to have faith in Jesus. Look there again at verse 20. Let's just look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, their faith, all five of them, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. All four had faith. Now, the, the paralytic wasn't saved because of his four friends' faith. Not directly, but kind of indirectly he was, right? Because they had faith that Jesus could save him. If we can just get him to Jesus. And then the, the man who was paralyzed, it was his faith that brought about his healing because Jesus looked at him and said, hey, he's got faith, and, and Jesus healed him. And the same is true for the, the lost, Right? The lost, we have to have faith that Jesus can save them. And then they have to have individual faith in Jesus Christ themselves in order to be saved. But both, both factors are necessary. We've got to have faith in Jesus' power and authority to save. This man was paralyzed. He was paralyzed. In, in, the, first cent, in, in the first century, Paralyzation, that was a hopeless situation to be in. There was no new neurosurgeon down at the Big Bad Hospital with a new kind of surgery technique that could heal his, his paralysis. He was in a hopeless condition. He was in a hopeless condition. There's nobody that can help this man. But his four friends said, oh, but there's Jesus. His four friends said, there's Jesus. And we've heard that Jesus can do that. And his four friends had faith that Jesus could overcome his situation. So they had faith to take him to Jesus. You know, we've got to have faith in Jesus. We've got to have faith in his power and authority to save sinners. Brother Robert has shared this testimony before. Brother, I hope you don't mind me sharing this today. I just thought about it as I was preparing this message. But Robert Sanders has shared his testimony a number of times. Before he came to faith, he was a great sinner. Right? He, he did some, some terrible things in his life before he became a Christian. And his faith came about because someone else believed that Jesus could save him. And there was a group of men at the, the mill where Robert worked. 
And they began to get together and they began to pray for revival to break out. And they began to pray for specific people who, who needed to come to know Jesus Christ. And, and one of the, the men there, he says, I'm praying for Robert Sanders. I'm praying for Robert Sanders. And another one of the men who were standing there, Robert Sanders? Even the Lord can't save Robert Sanders. But praise be to God, that one man said, the Lord can save Robert Sanders. And he prayed for Robert. And prayed for Robert. And prayed for Robert. And the Lord sent a man to Robert to testify to the good news of Jesus Christ. And Robert turned away from his sin and turned to Jesus Christ and became a soul winner. Praise God, Jesus has the power and authority to save even Robert Sanders. And he can save any of them. Maybe there's somebody in your life, they're just too far gone. You think they've just done too much. The Lord, Jesus Christ, has the power and authority to save every sinner. There's no one out of His reach. Not one soul out of Jesus' reach. He can save them all. We just need to take them to Jesus. R. Kent Hughes says this, Whoever a man or woman is, whatever he has done, no matter how heinous his sin, whether murder, infidelity, perversion, child abuse, betrayal, embezzlement, lying, jealousy, hateful gossip, or whatever, Christ can save him completely and eternally. This is the gospel, the good news. This is why we shout out with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. All who believe. There's no one outside of Jesus' reach. If you want to be a soul winner, if you want to be a soul winner, you have to have faith in Jesus' power and authority to save. Take them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. You can't save them, but He can. Take them to Jesus. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. It's not your place to talk someone into salvation. It's not your place to convince them. It's your place to tell them about Jesus. It's your place to say, you have a problem. It's sin. You're going to die and go to hell because of your sin. But I know the one who has the solution to your problem. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Who's your one? Who's your one? That's the question. Just one. Who's that person that in your mind that it just seems out of reach? Who's that one that, I, oh, I could never, I could never talk to them. 
Who's that one? Who's that one? Take them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Love them and begin to pray for them. That's where it starts, right? That's where the man started with Robert Sanders. He started by praying for him. God, I'm laying him at your feet. I'm laying him at your feet. Lord, save him. Lord, save him. Lord, save him. Lord, save him. Take him to Jesus in prayer. Love him and take him to Jesus. Be determined to do whatever it takes to take him to Jesus. Be determined to overcome whatever obstacles might get in your way to take him to Jesus. And then have faith that Jesus can save them because Jesus can save them. Take them to Jesus. Jesus has the power and authority to save them and completely change their lives. Take them to Jesus. Now today, maybe there's some today that you don't know Jesus. You're in a place where you're lost and you're on the road to destruction. Today, I want to take you to Jesus. You have a problem. Your sin and your rebellion has separated you from a holy God. And because of your rejection of Him, you're on the road to damnation. You're on the road to eternal damnation and a devil's hell. You've got a serious problem. You are dead and separated from God. But Jesus is the solution. Jesus came, He lived, He died on the cross for your sin in your place. And if you turn away from your rebellion and if you turn to Jesus and you receive His gift of salvation, He will save you. He died for you. He was resurrected of the from the dead showing that all your sin has been paid for trust in Jesus turn to Jesus and he certainly will save you don't leave here without turning to Christ let's pray Heavenly Father Lord, we want to be soul winners. We need to be soul winners. You've called us to be soul winners, to be fishers of men. Oh, Lord, let us take the gospel. Let us go fish. Let us take the gospel to the lost. And, Lord, give us courage. Give us love. Give us determination. Give us faith in your saving power that we might take them all to Jesus. Oh Lord, move in our own hearts. Move in our hearts. That everyone here might be a faithful soul winner taking the lost to Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's a lost person here this morning or watching on on. on TV or, or wherever they may be, Lord. If they don't know Jesus, Lord, let me, let me take them to Jesus today. Lord, let me lay them down before your throne of grace. I pray for them even now that you would touch their hearts, transform their lives, turn their eyes to Jesus Christ.
these things I pray in Christ's glorious name. Amen.